That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and elders delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is such a fantastic passage. I've already said it. Um, I can't even think of how the best way to begin it sometimes when I'm trying to talk to people about it because there are so many little pieces to it that are wonderful. First of all, it's just such an amazing scene. Yeah, it is definitely an amazing scene. And here they go on the way to Emmaus, these two men. They're having this walk. It's three days after Jesus has died. He's having them, asking them to tell him the story of himself. Yes, he (laughs) comes up alongside them. They don't know who he is. He starts talking to them about what they were talking about, which they're amazed he doesn't know. And then basically he's, he he leaves it open for them to start, they start rattling on about what's been happening to Jesus over these past few days. So they're telling Jesus the Jesus story. So kind of a practice run for the gospel, I guess, um, before you know what you're doing. And so now they're putting this out there to Jesus, Jesus listening the whole time. They go through the entire process and uh, and right up to the empty tomb. And when they get there, then verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Okay, let's stop even right there. All the prophets have spoken? What are you talking about? What even are we saying? And it's fairly harsh. Yeah, O foolish ones is no, doesn't sound just like nothing. Doesn't sound like, um, you know, a pat on the head. Uh, it sounds like he's he's really kind of a little bit of admonishment in there. Really? Y'all don't even understand the prophets that you've been reading all this time? Don't you understand what the prophets have spoken? How slow of heart you are. Um, wow. That's like, what? Like, what do you mean, man? I mean, how, how could you be saying that we don't know that just by what we've said to you just now? All of this is should be kind of sticking in our minds. Like, okay, there's a connection then. There's something that they have said that Jesus is saying should be verified in the prophets. But we ourselves, as good 
faithful, modern, Bible-loving Christians don't even know what he could be referencing here. We're like, okay, I mean, we love the Jesus story, and we know there are lots of prophecies about Jesus, but the stuff that's that we've heard about him dying and being raised is pretty scanty and kind of difficult to pin down from the old testament from the old testament yeah, yeah that's what i'm talking about the stuff they would have thought of as their their scriptures which is what jesus is referencing obviously so this would have been very hard for them to kind of get a grasp on what he was implying that they were supposed to know already it seems like now, I would say it is knowable, it is understandable, on some level, even then. I don't know exactly how far to take that, of course, but you you find men like Nicodemus and like Joseph of Arimathea, men on the council who are obviously would know the scriptures backward and forward, really have a good grasp on those. They're coming to Jesus, they're talking to him, um, or at least we know Nicodemus did, um, and had some... Uh, fairly close, intimate talks about scripture and God's ways and stuff like that. What all are they getting? What all are they thinking whenever they are thinking about Jesus and who he might be and why are they so intrigued by him? I can't I think help we but just wonder. picture, I think because we are so um, heavily dependent on the New Testament. Yes. Which is awesome. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Glad, I love the gospel. Glad it's there. Love every part um, of it. But we tend to think, well, Jesus was just such a great guy and so loving and smart and kind. And mm-hmm. he said the things that we read in the New Testament. Yes. And so people, you know, followed him. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't always connect that he was. I mean, John 1 says it the best. He was the word walking around in front of them. Yes. He was the whole Old Testament embodied. Yes. Walking around in front of them. Right. And they were smart, like you're talking about like a Nicodemus, for instance. Yeah. Very soaked in scripture. Right. He he was seeing something mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. than just a good man. Right. Yes. Who could maybe, and I know he was performing miracles but I don't think the miracles were the convincing part right not right I mean it wasn't it was on top of everything else that the miracles were yeah I think he saw the Old Testament scriptures being embodied in Jesus Mm -hmm. yes well I, I I absolutely think so too even when he couldn't explain it all there were enough little details that he was seeing that he was wondering constantly about right. huh could this be is this the one what should I be you know what do I need to be attentive to you know these are the kinds of things that were going around I think in some heads that were trying to pay attention to scripture and I think after the fact even more so for some people um, yes and, absolutely and these these men haven't had a chance to really process right. it. Right, I think that's they're what still they're doing into, yeah. right now. Yep, they're processing on the way so too. Yeah, I say men. It could have been a woman. Could be man or woman. We don't yeah. know. Um, 
But then it goes to verse 26. Jesus continues talking. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Oh, necessary? How, in what way was it necessary for him to suffer like that? What even are you talking about? Of course, we know about passages like Isaiah 53, which is such an obvious suffering servant passage and never to be minimized. I mean, it is gigantic, huge, our beautiful, one of our beautiful statements about Jesus. It's one that we can't miss. Yes, one of those unmissable places. Um, But but when we go to here, when we go here, then we go to that next line and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, when they say all the prophets, let's get this straight too. First of all, when they say Moses, they mean the Torah. Mm-hmm. So everything from Genesis to Deuteronomy. When they, and when Moses was a great prophet. And Moses prophet. himself, great prophet. He's called a prophet. So when they say the prophets up above that, yeah. they're including Moses. I would say so too, yeah. And then also, they divide their, they would divide their Old Testament differently than we would. And they would have the former prophets and the latter prophets. And the former prophets included what we consider, what we call most of our histories, find themselves in their idea of former prophets. The stuff that Samuel wrote, you know, which they would see as not just First and Second Samuel, but included things like Judges and uh, and early books of what we would call our Old Testament and that, that include, they're putting down uh, in Scripture. The Kings and the Chronicles. Certainly the Kings, not the Chronicles okay. so much. Um, Chronicles are going to come much later, and they aren't, aren't their exact the exactness of those aren't known for authorship. Um, but whenever we see that and know that, then we're, we have to think, okay, is he referencing those two? In what way is he saying that he's leading them through there, showing them himself? Right. Okay. Now, I think we have to we have to show a couple of these at least, or a few of these. Let's talk about a few of these just so people on the other end know. Guys, this is so big. I wish I could tell you how important this is to your faith. If... We need to understand that Paul is going throughout an empire that the the apostles, the disciples, they're going throughout an empire with nothing but what we call our Old Testament to make a case that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the one that God has sent for all people for all time. They're using... Turn the world upside down uh, with that. With Genesis through Malachi. With Genesis through Malachi. How in the world... Did they do that? I mean, for us, for most Christians today, if we're making a case for Jesus, we are New Testament focused. I mean, it is about what's happening in the New Testament, what Jesus said, who he was, that kind of, all of which is really good. That on top of. Yeah, we're so blessed to have that. Exactly. It's so wonderful to have that. But we need to also remember that the disciples were making that case for Jesus without anything Matthew to Revelation. Nothing was substantiated, even if they knew it existed by the end of the first century, even if they had seen a copy of it because one of their contemporaries wrote it, who'd been with Jesus, that would not have the same weight would not have you wouldn't be able to verify it in the same sense at all as you would by going to what we call Old Testament scriptures or what they would simply call the scriptures. 
And so for them, they're going back to Genesis through Malachi and they're making an ironclad case that Jesus, a criminal put on a cross in backwater Jerusalem, tiny little Israel, nothing, spit of a country that the Romans didn't really even care to govern, barely, you know, gave enough attention to let it be what it was, um, constantly having thorns in their sides over dealing with these Jews and their insistence not to accept the Roman gods, the Roman pantheon, all sorts of ridiculous dealings they had to have with them, they thought. And so they, the idea that the savior and king of all the universe would come from there was absurd to them. And yet, throughout Acts, you know, even before Acts, obviously, even in the Gospels, Mm -hmm. but certainly throughout Acts, we have Romans coming basically in droves, Romans coming to faith, to know Christ and to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior as well. Good thinking, well-established Romans of society um, coming to that conclusion, Greeks and Romans. So it's a this is a huge, huge thing that we're talking about here when we're talking about Jesus in the scriptures. And even then, even for the Jews, it verifies their faith. It verifies their faith in Christ. It, it gives credence to everything that they're trying to say about this Messiah because his story's already been written down throughout the Old Testament. Moses, the prophets, everything. Give one example. If we were to go back to Genesis chapter 2, as early as Genesis chapter 2, we have the Christ story in Genesis chapter 2. Whenever Adam, the first man who's ever created, sinless, he's created, and he is over, given dominion, authority over the world, over all of God's creation, he is told to search, to look for uh, a partner because God realizes it's not good for him to be alone. And so God brings all of the, all of the animals of creation before him. He sees them all and never identifies one that will be remotely suitable to be the partner that he needs. And so there's not a partner in all of creation. So the way God says, we'll get this sinless man who's over all these things, a partner is we'll put him to sleep. We'll open up his side. When it's opened up, we'll take from him what we'll use to make his bride. And then we'll stand them both up again, side nicely closed now. We'll stand them back up both again, and they will face each other and be completely exposed before one another, and yet completely unashamed, bound to one another forever. Yes. That is the story of the gospel. I just told the story of the gospel. That's Jesus's story. That's Jesus coming to earth. Not There was no one here suitable to be the bride that he needed. And so he went to his death on that cross. His side was opened up, John tells us. And then blood and water came out of him, which is what was used to make, cleanse a bride for him. And then he was raised up from that sleep, death, and, uh, and that bride made from him is now standing before him we all 
are can stand unashamed and exposed as he has completely exposed himself to us and we can be bound together forever as the couple that God has made, the bride and the bridegroom. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's yes. unbelievable. And it's right there in Genesis chapter 2. Right at the beginning of the, of the whole thing, God is telling this story of what's going to happen to Jesus' death and resurrection. Yes. Is there one that, is there something that comes to your mind whenever well, you're thinking about this I kind of thing? Well, of course, I always think of uh, Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. Uh, always I, Abraham and Isaac chapter 22 of Genesis uh, the pieces yeah. that are in there I are mean, ridiculous it's one that seems so obvious once you hear a- it and yet and yet I've talked to two people over the last I don't know six months who grew up in church but never heard that story told in light of Jesus yeah that's amazing to me they grew because up that's not how in church read it right think about it um and it's the same with so many stories. I mean, right. whether it's... Um, well, I just want to... I mean, before you go off that one, let's just remember that story of Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain is a story about the promised son has finally come. When the promised son comes, he's then taken by his father to the mountain where he'll be sacrificed. While there, he carries his own sacrificial wood up on his back to the place of sacrifice, to the place of offering. When he asks his father where the offering is, his father simply says, God will provide. And then he gives no sign that he is ever belligerent about the fact at all. I mean, the son does. The son is completely submissive in every way. Never lets out a peep about having to be sacrificed they're telling he takes him up on the mountain they buy he but his hands and feet are bound he's laid on the sacrificial wood by his father and this is a three-day journey that it took to get there and then there's a substitutionary atonement right there for him in the ram so we've got so we've got that that piece now because the son can this son is not going to have to die but again this son's not going to die because this son's not Jesus right if, if it's all pointing everything to the one points who will to Jesus it all. yes the substitutionary atonement in the ram even is caught by thorns around his head that's why he's having that's why he's here it's amazing these pieces are all falling into place in a very short span yes. of a few verses I mean we're talking about that one's so easy to see Oh, I feel like kind of jumps uh, off the page. But there are so many. I don't even know. <laughs> it's almost on every page. Oh, it is. It's constant. And probably if I really, if we really had the time to go look at every page, mm-hmm. it would be on every page. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking the other day to uh, one songs. of our groups about how, yeah, I mean, the Psalms, gosh, ridiculous. Psalm 22, uh, Jesus quotes it from the cross, but then you walk through the whole Psalm and you're like, oh, everything in the Psalm is happening to him. Things that he has no control over. He had no control over whether or not those guys at the foot of the cross were going to be casting lots for his clothes. And that's the very thing that's happening there at the cross, being reported is happening there at the cross. Amazing. Um, and, and so time after time after time, we're seeing this stuff come out. We were talking the other day about one of our group, to one of our groups, about how in the Noah story, Noah's Ark lands on Mount Ararat on the, as Genesis uh, chapter 8 says, 8 verse 4 in Genesis, it says, 
that the ark landed on Mount Ararat, touched ground on Mount Ararat, on the uh, 17th day of the seventh month. Uh, And right there is a very interesting note. Why do we need to know that the ark touched down on the 17th day of the seventh month? Well, it turns out that that seventh month is going to become the first month reckoned by their religious calendar. Whenever we get to Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we find this out. God's going to turn it into the first month according to the religious calendar. That means it's now, that means it's Nisan. It's always been Nisan, but it's the first month of the religious calendar. The 17th day, they have to do Passover always happens on the 14th day of the month. We go and we read it right there in Exodus chapter 12. Passover is always the 14th. Well, three days after Passover is the 17th. 17th. Jesus was killed on Passover. Jesus died on Passover. Three days later, he's going to be raised. The ark, I need to know the ark touches down on the 17th day of the seventh month, which will become the 17th day of the first month, so that I can see, even in that Noah story, the one who's saving the world there and his family with him inside this ark, that is going through judgment, going to pass through judgment to new creation on the other side, that, when it gets to the other side, is going to set down on the 17th day of the seventh month, the same day Jesus rises from the dead. That's the day that they touch ground again, that they know everything's going to be okay. That's when they, until that time, it's just been a watery mess everywhere. But now they can feel land again. Wait a second things really are going to be okay. We're going to be able to go out into the into this creation again. It's going to be okay. That's an amazing yes. date. And there's so many pieces in it. that. There are even more details that yeah. we can talk about. But, yeah. Um, you know, just... I think about the judges Dan- are great stories. Daniel. Daniel and, chapter 6. The stone is rolled over the hole and sealed with the king's seal. That's the same thing that happens to Jesus whenever Pilate has the stone rolled over the hole and sealed. That's what it means. It's sealing it with a seal so that nobody can tamper with it. Daniel was, you know, hated by his contemporaries because the king of the world loved him best. Thought he was the best servant he had, so he was exalting him over all of them. The ones who had been taking care of his kingdom aren't going to get to anymore be the first place. They're going to have to report to Jesus, which or <laughs> report to Daniel, which they hate uh, and are jealous about and do all that they can to get him out of the way. And they have to make up something in order to get him out of the way because he's just too righteous. Otherwise, they can't find anything. When they do find something, it's enough that they can trump up charges, throw him in a hole in the ground, roll a stone over it, seal it, and expect him never to come out. Yes, there was no way you were coming out of the lion's den. I mean, everybody knew. No, there was no chance they were going to go back the next day and find somebody still alive. But uh, the king goes because he's just beside himself. He hates that he's lost Daniel. Hates, hates, hates. It kills him all night long. Um, And comes back the next day, Daniel, as your God saved you, he yells into the crack between the rock and the cave and then sure enough out comes a voice yes I'm okay my God has saved me I'm fine uh and so then he rolls the stone away and has the ones who tried to kill Daniel killed in the very way that they tried to take his life 
which is exactly what the cross does. Satan and all his minions who thought they had won actually lost on the cross. It was they themselves that were defeated in the very way that they thought they would defeat God's plan. Crazy. This is amazing. I mean, there's, we could talk about Moses, we could talk about Joseph, we could talk about David, we could talk about uh, just on and on and on. The list goes. I mean, it does. In the small characters, in the big characters. Uh, the story is always being told. It's over and over. And we get to places like, you know, and then we get to later books, um, books that were written much later, even like Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, what are these books about? Well, in Hebrew, literally, the names Ezra and Nehemiah, which, by the way, used to be one book for, for our listeners who may not know, it was it's originally and still is in the Hebrew canon, one book called Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra means literally helper and Nehemiah literally means comforter so the book of helper comforter is that book about having come out of captivity and now rebuilding God's kingdom as as it is meant to be that's the idea of course that they're going to do whenever they return home now they have lots of struggles doing it it's tough but you look through the surface of the book to what's actually happening and you'll see things like Ezra, who, who is their, is their, um, one of their priests. I mean, he's not their first high priest or anything, but he's uh, someone who has come now, and he is of the priestly class, and he is, but he's the one whose name means helper, and he is because they have all forgotten in their time, many of them born in captivity in Babylon, they've returned. Now they have this law, God's law before them. Nobody understands Hebrew anymore. And so Ezra interprets the law for them. Oh my goodness. Jesus says that the helper will come and will explain to us and make known to us all the things that he said. That's exactly so, what the role of the I helper is. I think the thing that I love about what you're saying right there is that it's not just the story of Jesus. As if that wouldn't be enough. It's the story of the Trinity and all of all that that entails. It's the story of the whole of redemption. Yes. In our life. And even him. as we're incorporated into it, into yes. Him. Yes. Uh, that is told over and over and over. And yes. So it's complete. Man, well, I know that we haven't gone any further than 27 today, and that's perfectly fine with me. Um, we're going to close up here, but I want everybody to know there's so much more to continue to dig into, and there are resources out there. That well, you can and find we do have podcasts up if you haven't seen them. Yep. On just a typology. bunch of topology stories. Yep. Um, so, so we'll probably our, do some more of that. Yep. Look back into our old podcast, like uh, somewhere around number 30 and above. Like we go on for quite some time there um, and just do typology. Uh, you can really get a lot from that because we're going into story after story and talking about the intricacies of those but if you're interested in this subject there's a lot of good stuff out there i also have a resource that's on the website there are three three different resources of books that you can find on the website but we look forward to helping you in any way we can as we go through that um next time we'll continue a little bit with this thought and then we'll go on uh to some more of chapter 24 
And we've also decided on our next series, which we're going to be doing on the Psalms. So if you think, I mean, there is some great, great, amazing, wonderful stuff in the Psalms, and we would love for you to join us for that. You'll be, you'll be floored by the stuff that's in there. Yeah. It's not and, just pretty stuff to make you feel good. Right. Which it, it does do it that, <laughs> but wow, so much deeper than that. So you're going to love it. Um, we will be talking to you all soon. And we thank you so much. Appreciate all your attention you give to this. Hope this will be helpful to you. And please share uh, and like it. You know, whatever you can do to help us out is going to be really, really good. So God bless you all. And we will be talking to you again in a few days. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and elders delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is such a fantastic passage. I've already said it. Um, I can't even think of how the best way to begin it sometimes when I'm trying to talk to people about it because there are so many little pieces to it that are wonderful. Well, first of all, it's just such an amazing scene. Yeah, it is definitely an amazing scene. And here they go on the way to Emmaus, these two men. They're having this walk. It's three days after Jesus has died. We're he's having them, he's asking them to tell him the story of himself. Yes, he <laughs> comes up alongside them. They don't know who he is. He starts talking to them about what they were talking about, which they're amazed he doesn't know. And then basically he's, he, he leaves it open for them to start. They start rattling on about what's been happening to Jesus over these past few days. So they're telling Jesus the Jesus story. So kind of a practice run for the gospel, I guess, um, before you know what you're doing. And so now they're putting this out there to Jesus, Jesus listening the whole time. They go through the entire process and, uh, and right up to the empty tomb. And when they get there, then verse 25, Jesus says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. 
Okay, let's stop even right there. All the prophets have spoken? What are you talking about? What even are we saying? And it's fairly harsh. Yeah, oh foolish ones is no, doesn't sound just like nothing. Doesn't sound like, um, you know, a pat on the head. Uh, it sounds like he's he's really kind of a little bit of admonishment in there. Really? Y'all don't even understand the prophets that you've been reading? all this time don't you understand what the prophets had spoken how slow apart you are um wow that's like what like what do you mean man i mean how, how could you be saying that we don't know that just by what we've said to you just now all of this is should be kind of sticking in our minds like okay there's a connection then there's something that they have said that Jesus is saying should be verified in the prophets. But we ourselves, as good, faithful, modern, Bible-loving Christians, don't even know what he could be referencing here. We're like, okay, I mean, we love the Jesus story, and we know there are lots of prophecies about Jesus, but the stuff that we've heard about him dying and being raised is pretty scanty and kind of difficult to pin down from the old testament from the old testament yeah Yeah, that's what i'm talking about the stuff they would have thought of as their their scriptures which is what jesus is referencing obviously so this would have been very hard for them to kind of get a grasp on what he was implying that they were supposed to know already it seems like Now, I would say it is knowable, it is understandable, on some level, even then. I don't know exactly how far to take that, of course, but you you find men like Nicodemus and like Joseph of Arimathea, men on the council who are obviously would know the scriptures backward and forward, really have a good grasp on those. They're coming to Jesus, they're talking to him, um, or at least we know Nicodemus did. Um, and had some uh, fairly close, intimate talks about Scripture and God's ways and stuff like that. What all are they getting? What all are they thinking whenever they are thinking about Jesus and who he might be and why are they so intrigued by him? I can't I think we just wonder. picture, I think because we are so um, heavily dependent on the New Testament. Yes. Which is awesome. Don't yeah, get me wrong. Glad, I love the gospel. Glad it's there. Love every part uh, of it. But we tend to think, well, Jesus was just such a great guy and so loving and smart and kind and mm-hmm. he said the things that we read in the New Testament. Yes. And so people, you know, followed him. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't always connect that he was, I mean, John 1 says it the best. He was the word walking around in front of them. Yes. He was the whole Old Testament embodied. Yes. Walking around in front of them. Right. And they were smart, like you're talking about like a Nicodemus, for instance. Yeah. Very soaked in scripture. Right. He he was seeing something mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. than just a good man. Right. Yes. Who could maybe, and I know he was performing miracles, but I don't think the miracles were the convincing part. Right. Not right. I mean, it wasn't. It that. was on top of everything else that uh, the great. miracles were. Yeah. I think he saw 
the Old Testament scriptures being embodied in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I, I, I absolutely think so too. Even when he couldn't explain it all, there were enough little details that he was seeing that he was wondering constantly about, huh, could this be, is this the one, what should I be, you know, what do I need to be attended to? You know, these are the kinds of things that were going around, I think, in some heads that were trying to pay attention to scripture. And I think after the fact, even more so for some people. Um, yes, and, absolutely. And these these men haven't had a chance to really process right, it. Right, I think That's they're still... That's what they're doing in, yeah, right now. Yep. They're processing I on think the way so too. Yep. I say men, it could have been a woman. Could man. be men or woman, we don't yeah. know. Um, but then it goes to verse 26. Jesus continues talking. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Oh, necessary? How, in what way was it necessary for him to suffer like that? What even are you talking about? Of course, we know about passages like Isaiah 53, which is such an obvious suffering servant passage and never to be minimized. I mean, it is gigantic, huge, our beautiful, one of our beautiful statements about Jesus. It's one that we can't miss. Yes, one of those unmissable places. Um, But but when we go to here, when we go here, then we go to that next line and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, when they say all the prophets, let's get this straight too. First of all, when they say Moses, they mean the Torah. Mm-hmm. So everything from Genesis to Deuteronomy. When they, and when Moses was a great prophet. And Moses, Moses himself, great prophet. He's called a prophet. So when they say like the prophets say. up above that, yeah. they're including Moses. I would say so too, yeah. yeah. And then also, they divide their, they would divide their Old Testament differently than we would. And they would have the former prophets and the latter prophets. And the former prophets included what we consider, what we call most of our histories, find themselves in their idea of former prophets. The stuff that Samuel wrote, you know, which they would see as not just First and Second Samuel, but included things like Judges and, uh, and early books of what we would call our Old Testament. And that, that would include putting down uh, in scripture. the Kings and the Chronicles. Certainly the Kings, not the Chronicles okay. so much. Um, Chronicles are going to come much later and they aren't, aren't their exact, the exactness of those aren't known for authorship. Um, but whenever we see that and know that, then we're, we have to think, okay, is he referencing those two? In what way is he saying that he's leading them through there, showing them himself? Okay, now I think we have to we have to show a couple of these at least, or a few of these. Let's talk about a few of these just so people on the other end know. Guys, this is so big. I wish I could tell you how important this is to your faith. If, we need to understand that Paul is going throughout an empire that the, the apostles, the disciples, they're going throughout an empire with nothing but what we call our Old Testament to make a case that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the one that God has sent for all people for all time. They're using... Turn the world upside down uh, with that. With Genesis through Malachi. With Genesis through Malachi. How in the world 
did they do that? I mean, for us, for most Christians today, if we're making a case for Jesus, we are New Testament focused. I mean, it is about what's happening in the New Testament, what Jesus said, who he was, that kind of, all of which is really good. that on top of yeah we're so blessed to have that exactly it's so wonderful to have that but we need to also remember that the disciples were making that case for jesus without anything matthew to revelation nothing was substantially substantiated even if they knew it existed by the end of the first century even if they had seen a copy of it because one of their contemporaries wrote it who'd been with jesus that would not have the same weight would not have you wouldn't be able to verify it in the same sense at all as you would by going to what we call old testament scriptures or what they would simply call the scriptures and so for them they're going back to genesis through malachi and they're making an ironclad case that jesus a criminal put on a cross in backwater Jerusalem, tiny little Israel, nothing, spit of a country that the Romans didn't really even care to govern, barely, you know, gave enough attention to let it be what it was, Um, constantly having thorns in their sides over dealing with these Jews and their insistence not to accept the Roman gods, the Roman pantheon, all sorts of ridiculous dealings they had to have with them, they thought. And so they, the idea that the savior and king of all the universe would come from there was absurd to them. And yet throughout Acts, you know, even before Acts, obviously even in the gospels, Mm -hmm. but certainly throughout Acts, we have Romans coming basically in droves, Romans coming to faith, to know Christ and to accept Jesus as their Lord and savior as well good thinking well established romans of society um coming to that conclusion greeks and romans so it's a this is a huge huge thing that we're talking about here when we're talking about jesus in the scriptures and even then even for the jews it verifies their faith it verifies their faith in christ it it gives credence to everything that they're trying to say about this Messiah because his story's already been written down throughout the Old Testament. Moses, the prophets, everything. Give one example. If we were to go back to Genesis chapter 2, as early as Genesis chapter 2, we have the Christ story in Genesis chapter 2. Whenever Adam, the first man who's ever created, sinless, he's created, and he is over given dominion authority over the world over all of god's creation he's he is told to search to look for uh, a partner because god realizes it's not good for him to be alone and so god brings all of the all of the animals of creation before him he sees them all and never identifies one that will be remotely suitable to be the partner that he needs. Mm-hmm. And so there's not a partner in all of creation. So the way God says we'll get this sinless man who's over all these things, a partner is we'll put him to sleep. We'll open up his side. When it's opened up, we'll take from him what we'll use to make his bride. And then we'll stand them both up again, side nicely closed now, 
will stand them back up both again and they will face each other and be completely exposed before one another and yet completely unashamed bound to one another forever yes that is the story of the gospel i just told the story of the gospel that's jesus's story that's jesus coming to earth not there was no one here suitable to be the bride that he needed and so he went to his death on that cross his side was opened up john tells us and then blood and water came out of him which is what was used to make cleanse a bride for him and then he was raised up from that sleep death and uh and that bride made from him is now standing before him we all are can stand unashamed and exposed as he has completely exposed himself to us and we can be bound together forever as the couple that God has made the bride and the bridegroom I mean it's it's beautiful it's unbelievable and it's right there in Genesis chapter 2 right at the beginning of the of the whole thing God is telling this story of what's going to happen to Jesus death and resurrection Yes. Is there one that is there something that comes to your mind whenever well, you're thinking about this I kind of thing? Well, of course, I always think of Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. And always, I, Abraham and Isaac, chapter 22 of Genesis. The pieces yeah. that are in there I are mean, ridiculous. It's one that seems so obvious. Once you hear it, and yet, and yet, I've talked to two people over the last I don't know six months who grew up in church but never heard that story told in light of Jesus. That's amazing to me. They grew because up that's not how in church. Read it, right? Think about it, um, and it's the same with so many stories. I mean, right. whether it's um, well, I just want to. I mean, before you go off that one, let's just remember that story of Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain is a story about the promised son has finally come. When the promised son comes, he's then taken by his father to the mountain where he'll be sacrificed. While there, he carries his own sacrificial wood up on his back to the place of sacrifice, to the place of offering. When he asks his father where the offering is, his father simply says, God will provide. And then he gives no sign that he is ever belligerent about that fact at all. I mean, the no, sun doesn't. The sun is, is completely quiet. submissive in every way. Never lets out a peep about having to be sacrificed. They're t- he takes him up on the mountain. They buy, he buy, His hands and feet are bound. He's laid on the sacrificial wood by his father. And this is a three-day journey that it took to get there. And then there's a substitutionary atonement right there for him in the ram. So we've got so we've got that that piece now because the son can this son is not going to have to die. But again, this son's not going to die because this son's not Jesus. Right. If, if it's all pointing, everything to the one points who will to Jesus. It all. Yes, the substitutionary atonement in the ram even is caught by thorns around his head. That's why he's having. That's why he's here. It's amazing. These pieces are all falling to place in a very short span of a few verses. I mean, we're talking about... That one's so easy to see. Oh. I feel like. Kind of jumps off the page. But there are so many. I don't even know. (laughs) It's almost on every page. Oh, it is. It's constant. And probably if I really, if we really had the time, 
to go look at every page, mm-hmm. it would be on every page. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking the other day to uh, one Psalms. of our groups about how, yeah, I mean, the Psalms, gosh, ridiculous. Psalm 22, uh, Jesus quotes it from the cross, but then you walk through the whole Psalm and you're like, oh, everything in the Psalm is happening to him. Mm-hmm. Things that he has no control over. Right. He had no control over whether or not those guys at the foot of the cross were going to be casting lots for his clothes. And that's the very thing that's happening there at the cross, being reported is happening there at the cross. Amazing. Um, and, and so time after time after time, we're seeing this stuff come out. We were talking the other day about one of our group, to one of our groups, about how in the Noah story, Noah's Ark lands on Mount Ararat on the, as Genesis uh, chapter 8 says, 8 verse 4 in Genesis, it says that the Ark landed on Mount Ararat, touched ground on Mount Ararat on the twen- uh, 17th day of the seventh month. Uh, and right there is a very interesting note. Why do we need to know that the ark touched down on the 17th day of the seventh month? Well, it turns out that that seventh month is going to become the first month reckoned by their religious calendar. Whenever we get to Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we find this out. God's going to turn it into the first month according to the religious calendar. That means it's now, that means it's Nisan. It's always been Nisan, but it's the first month of the religious calendar. The 17th day, they have to do Passover always happens on the 14th day of the month. We go and we read it right there in Exodus chapter 12. Passover is always the 14th. Well, three days after Passover is the 17th. 17th. (laughs) Jesus was killed on Passover. Jesus died on Passover. Three days later, he's going to be raised. The ark, I need to know the ark touches down on the 17th day of the seventh month, which will become the 17th day of the first month, so that I can see, even in that Noah story, the one who's saving the world there and his family with him inside this ark, that is going through judgment, going to pass through judgment to new creation on the other side, that, when it gets to the other side, is going to set down on the 17th day of the seventh month, the same day Jesus rises from the dead. That's the day that they touch ground again, that they know everything's going to be okay. That's when they, until that time, it's just been a watery mess everywhere. But now they can feel land again. Wait a second things really are going to be okay. We're going to be able to go out into into this creation again. It's going to be okay. That's an amazing date. And there's so many pieces in that. Even more details that we can talk about. But, um, you know, just... I think about the judges Dan- are great stories. Daniel, Daniel and- chapter six. The stone is rolled over the hole and sealed with the king's seal. That's the same thing that happens to Jesus whenever Pilate has the stone rolled over the hole and sealed. That's what it means. It's sealing it with a seal so that nobody can tamper with it. D- Daniel was, you know, hated by his contemporaries because the king of the world loved him best. Thought he was the best servant he had, so he was exalting him over all of them. The ones who had been taking care of his kingdom aren't going to get to anymore be the first place. They're going to have to report to Jesus, which or <laughs> report to Daniel, which they hate 
uh, and are jealous about and do all that they can to get him out of the way and they have to make up something in order to get him out of the way because he's just too righteous otherwise they can't find anything when they do find something it's enough that they can trump up charges throw him in a hole in the ground roll a stone over it seal Which it and expect him never to come out yes okay. there was no way you were coming out of the lion's den I mean everybody you know there was no chance they were going to go back the next day and find somebody still alive but uh, the king goes because he's just beside himself he hates that he's lost Daniel hates 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 it kills him all night long um and comes back the next day Daniel as your God saved you he yells into the crack between the rock and the cave and then sure enough out comes a voice yes I'm okay my God has saved me I'm fine uh and so then he rolls the stone away and has the ones who tried to kill Daniel killed in the very way that they tried to take his life which is exactly what the cross does Satan and all his minions who thought they had won actually lost on the cross it was they themselves that were defeated in the very way that they thought they would defeat God's plan crazy this is amazing i mean there's we could talk about moses we could talk about joseph we could talk about david we could talk about, oh, uh, man. just on and on and on the list goes i mean it in does the small characters in the big characters uh the story is always being told it's over and over and we get to places like you know and then we get to later books um books that were written much later even like ezra and nehemiah well what are these books about well in Hebrew, literally, the names Ezra and Nehemiah, which, by the way, used to be one book for, for our listeners who may not know, it was it's originally and still is in the Hebrew canon, one book called Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra means literally helper, and Nehemiah literally means comforter. So the book of Helper Comforter is that book about having come out of captivity and now rebuilding God's kingdom as as it is meant to be. That's the idea, of course, that they're going to yes. do whenever they return home. Now, they have lots of struggles doing it. It's tough, but you look through the surface of the book to what's actually happening, and you'll see things like Ezra, who who is their, is their um, one of their priests. I mean, he's not their first high priest or anything, but he's uh, someone who has come now and he is of the priestly class and he is, but he's the one whose name means helper. And he is because they have all forgotten in their time, many of them born in captivity in Babylon, they've returned. Now they have this law, God's law before them. Nobody understands Hebrew anymore. And so Ezra interprets the law for them. Oh my goodness, Jesus says that the Helper will come and will explain to us and make known to us all the things that yes. He said. Yeah. That's exactly so, what the role of the I Helper think is. The thing that I love about what you're saying right there is that it's not just the story of Jesus. As if that wouldn't be enough. It's the story of the Trinity and all of all that that entails it's the story of the whole of redemption yes and our life and even him. as we're incorporated into it into yes. him yes uh, that is told over and over and over and yes so it's complete man well i know that we haven't gone any further than 27 today and that's perfectly fine with me 
um, we're going to close up here, but I want everybody to know there's so much more to continue to dig into and there are resources out there that well you can and we do have podcasts up if you haven't seen them yep on just a Typology. bunch of topology stories yep um so so we'll probably our, do some more of that yep look back into our old podcast like uh, somewhere around number 30 and above like we go on for quite some time there um and just do typology uh you can really get a lot from that because we're going into story after story and talking about the intricacies of those but if you're interested in this subject there's a lot of good stuff out there i also have a resource that's on the website there are three three different resources of books that you can find on the website but we look forward to helping you in any way we can as we go through that um next time we'll continue a little bit with this thought and then we'll go on uh to some more of chapter 24 and we've also decided on our next series, which we're going to be doing on the Psalms. So if you think, I mean, there is some great, great, amazing, wonderful stuff in the Psalms. And we would love for you to join us for that. You'll be, you'll be floored by the stuff that's in there. Yeah, it's not you, just pretty stuff to make you feel good. Right. Which it, it does do it that. <laughs> but wow, so much deeper than that. So you're going to love it. Um, We will be talking to you all soon. And we thank you so much. Appreciate all your attention you give to this. Hope this will be helpful to you. And please share uh, and like it. You know, whatever you can do to help us out is going to be really, really good. So God bless you all. And we will be talking to you again in a few days.